What do yoga, astrology, self-help books, and the Enneagram all have in common? These are a broad swath of subjects under the New Age religion umbrella. As Western society has become increasingly secular and humanistic, the general uh, population has sought for meaning anywhere but the Bible. According to a 2018 study conducted by the Pew Research Center, many Christians, this is a quote, many Christians hold what are sometimes characterized as New Age beliefs, including belief in reincarnation, astrology, psychics, and the presence of spiritual energy in physical objects like mountains or trees. Many Americans who are religiously unaffiliated also have these beliefs, end quote. Specifically, this study found that 37% of adult Christians believe spiritual energy can be located in physical things. 40% believe in psychics. 40% of Christians. 33% believe in reincarnation. And 29% believe in astrology. These numbers are, interestingly, only slightly higher among the secular non-Christian population of America. This means that the Christian population in America is mirroring secular America. We are being informed by gurus, yoga masters, Hindu spiritualists, life coaches, and the occult rather than Jesus Christ. And the reality is many sincere Christians are completely unaware of this. Welcome once again to Who Let the Dogma Out, where doctrine has dominion over all of life. It is great to be back on the show after that brief six-month hiatus, and I'll say I'm I'm pretty glad that uh, I won't have to answer anybody anymore about when the show's coming back on, because we're back, and I think we've got a great season ahead of us. Uh, one one noteworthy change, uh, we, we did have a slight change over the break. Our uh, brother and founding podcast contributor, Jacob Rutledge, is uh, sadly no longer with us. Uh, he is. That sounded bad. He is, with, he, <laughs> he, he is still with. He is still with. No us. longer with the podcast. <laughs> sorry, Jacob. Yeah. Sorry, Jacob. Uh, he is no longer with. Who let the dogma out? Uh, his life schedule and uh, the pursuit of further education have filled up his plate, and uh, I think us ministry guys can certainly understand that. Um, we had a great first season, and his contributions made it what it was, and it wouldn't have been such a success without him. So we're, we're definitely saddened by that, but the show must go on, and uh, I think we found the right guy to fill the void. Uh, this season, we are added, so we got, it's, it's me, Daniel, Jack, and we've got a new guy, drumroll, can somebody, can we put one of those in here? Sure, we'll see what we can do in post. <laughs> okay, <laughs> put, put it in afterwards, drumroll, Titus Mathis. Uh, did I... What's that? Titus Mathis Anderson, actually. Oh, my goodness. Uh, no, that... no, no. After it's a cool. roaring start, we killed Jacob yeah, and yeah. got we, we... <laughs> <laughs> No, I, hey, maybe maybe Titus Mathis works. That'll be like a, you know, kind of my my, uh, my writer name, my, my pen well, name or something. So that's my middle name, actually. So my name is Titus Mathis Anderson. Uh, um, the, the middle name is important. I do like to stress my middle name because it is my mother's maiden name. Uh, and it is a name that is on the verge of uh, going out of existence, actually. So there's no male Mathis, uh, you know, con continuation of the name, at least at this point. I pray that there is someday. So I like to continue that name. Uh, we've given that name to one of our sons. So that is a really important name. So I'll go by Titus Mathis. Absolutely. Well, in my intro, you know, I was introduced. I was going to say, you know, anybody with a Bible name who for his first and last name, they've got to be good. But. <laughs> But Anderson's not a Bible name, so so my uh, what I was gonna say isn't even true. We do out here in Oklahoma have a Mathis Brothers, and it's a oh. big it's a big furniture store. So okay, there you go. Yeah, the the, the Norse last name that's the little bit of uh, you know off the chart uh, uncharted waters heritage that I have to work through. But otherwise, yeah, yeah, the Bible name usually draws attention too. Yeah, well, Titus, tell us a little bit about you. Where are you at? What do you do? And uh, what do you like to do? Maybe a oh. hobby or two. An interesting oh. fact. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Uh, well, I joined Jack in being from the beautiful state of Tennessee. Well, not from. I'm from Tennessee. He's a move-in, I believe. Um, 
and we, recent we, recent we, transplant. We, we take kindly to to move vents as long as they you know mind their own business um right. but no it's uh love living here i've lived here all my life um you know as for me i grew up in the church i'm a preacher's kid uh and uh learned under my father and faithful mother uh you know and wholly indebted to them uh for for the direction of my life in a lot of ways just had a wonderful upbringing uh two brothers and a sister that you know grew up with uh and i married my childhood sweetheart uh which is a thing that not many people can say but i did uh, my wife Brittany and i we have two wonderful sons uh silas who's five and mathis who's two and he's very much two uh he's he's incredibly oh, yeah. two years old right now oh yeah uh but we we love him a whole lot and so i uh actually get to serve with the congregation i grew up in uh which is another thing i count as a blessing at center grove church of christ i uh, I'm involved as the overseer of the Bible class program there, so I get to do a lot with the education part and filling out teacher schedules and ordering curriculum and all that, but uh, I also get opportunity to preach quite a bit, um, teach Bible classes myself, so I really enjoy that. I'm not a full-time uh, ministry guy. I also work um, for a homeschool curriculum company that uh, writes homeschool history curriculum, uh, so any homeschoolers out there, hit me up if you're interested in some great uh, Christian worldview homeschool history curriculum. Uh, but yeah, and so just kind of balancing all that in my life, as far as my hobbies, I'm a massive nerd. Um, so I love to read. Uh, I love to uh, play games with my kids. There there was that little lull in my life to where uh, video games kind of went off the radar. And then now I have an opportunity to introduce some of the golden oldies to my kids. And uh, nice. just, just last week, uh, I was showing a game to my son that I played when I was a kid uh legend of zelda the wind waker which is from the early 2000s and silas oh, nice. was like silas was like this must have been the first zelda game because it looks so it's old the first video game <laughs> ever made I'm like, oh dude, that hurts dude yeah <laughs> anyway so. yeah, that that's uh that's cool i was gonna say if you th so you're you know if you you got a five-year-old and a two-year-old they're already playing game. We we try playing uh, games with our five. We've got a five and a three and a one, but she's uh, she doesn't play games yet. But uh, the games are not quite what they what they will be or what I hope they'll be one day. Mm -hmm. Rules change all throughout. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wanted to you mentioned your ministry and all that and, and being a nerd. I I was trying to think about like what passions each of us have. I know I'm kind of the ecclesiology guy, church and church structure, all that stuff. Uh, Daniel, you got a few things that you, you're kind of big on. Uh, I know you do a lot of cultural engagement stuff and family stuff. What Would you pick one for yourself and then Titus, Old Testament for yourself maybe? what What's kind of your your wheelhouse, I guess, is the, the thing I'd ask here. Yeah, so, you know, I when I think about what excites me about the Bible, and that, that's really what I talk a lot about. I say, you know, we we as a people, as a church, need to get excited about the Bible again, because there's so many people that aren't. Um, what excites me, and you mentioned the Old Testament, and that's definitely part of it, but mostly things that have just kind of fallen to the wayside. There's certain things within the church, I feel, uh, that we've just kind of attached a one word name to. For instance, we talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Well, that's got a deep well yeah. of things you can talk about within that doctrine and about resurrection. And a lot of times in the church, we're, we're guilty of just, well, it's the resurrection and we don't go deeper. Same thing with the Old Testament. A lot of people in the church are guilty of saying, uh, well, the Old Testament, you know, that's uh, that was nailed to the cross. Uh, we, you know, that doesn't really have much to say to us. Thank, oh, thank goodness we don't have to worry about the Old Testament. Uh, and it's just a shame, you know, because mm -hmm. it's such a well of knowledge and a revelation of who God is. And so, yeah, I, I definitely spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. Uh, the last time I had an opportunity to do a kind of a Sunday, Wednesday class duo, I was doing Exodus uh, on Sunday mornings and Hebrews on Wednesday nights. So <laughs> I'm very nice, you know, big into the co combining of the Old and the New Testament, you know, building that bridge. And uh, so I'm definitely passionate about that. Cool, cool. My only yeah. question is. My only question is, how can you be in the Old Testament when we're New Testament Christians? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, boy. That's that's another podcast. That's right. Might be an episode here. So, Daniel, yeah. if uh, from the intro, New Age is what we're talking about. And that's one that I think, I, and you kind of hinted at this in the intro, 
people might think that and well what does that have to do with anything or that's that's kind of abstract that's out there but the more we get into it there's more it's gonna be like no you're surrounded by this you are immersed in this culturally and don't even realize it in fact as you mentioned there's a lot of it that seeps into the church and even the way we talk in the church and sermons and and ideas christians have about the bible in the church and like again we just don't even realize it so let's talk about that let's let's kind of talk about where people come into contact with this and and just the average everyday kind of infiltration it has it's it's yeah it's absolutely everywhere and the reason why so it's everywhere culturally which we understand the the culture moves all the time there are demonic influences within philosophies and ideas of man and we understand that but it's also in the church and uh it shouldn't be but the way that it makes itself into the church is kind of the whole reason we're doing this podcast is I think we've rendered it down to just this couple of words, theological minimalism. Within the church, we've not talked about some of these issues and these subjects, and people go on, because the thing about New Age spirituality or this, you know, some wouldn't even call it a religion. Some wouldn't even call it New Age. They don't even know that they are a part of it. But it's kind of this nebulous, loose idea that is interconnected uh, with ancient mystic religions, Hinduism, it comes, you know, we, you look out in the world, what's the anthem of the culture? Self-love. The height of a person's, you know, uh, life is to reach the point of self-actualization. I mean, wasn't it Maslow who said that that's kind of the pinnacle? You know, you look at the top of that triangle is hierarchy of needs and self-actualization is all the way at the top, self-development, and ultimately, one of the words that comes out is uh, this idea of manifesting or manifest destiny or, you know, you've got some purpose, you've got some big idea in life. And this new age concept is so rooted in self, it finds its authority in self. And it says, look, if you're going to uh, reach a goal, you have everything within you that you need to do that. I was actually listening to a podcast recently. There's an actual guru just a famous guru i can't remember his name but he's from india and he goes around giving spiritual counsel wisdom uh, all over the world and kind of a motivational speaker type person and it's interesting this guy is uh he's a hindu and he's literally citing everything that I, i i hear christians say in our culture say about the self he said if there's something you need you have all of it within you which is that's the antithesis of Christianity. Where else do you guys see it coming out? I think, you know, it's, it's interesting as I think about how this has happened. Uh, one thing that comes to my mind is if you look at the last, let's say, 30 years, you know, th- there was a time where new atheism, if we want to throw another new in there, uh, kind of this movement of, you know, uh, science is the, is the key to the universe and we're going to unlock the universe. We're going to, you know, using math and logic and uh, astronomy, we're, we're going to discover all that the universe has to offer. And what it's going to show is that Christianity is bunk. There's no need for God. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll uproot any kind of uh, Christian root in society. Uh, and then we'll, we'll just be these platonic, uh, you know, humans that just live to live and then you die and you're gone. Uh, what I think I see, especially in the younger generation, you know, as you see the, if you want to call them the TikTok generation uh, or, you know, millennials and, and onward, uh, mm-hmm. you see that removing spirituality has not worked. Um, yeah. you, you can remove Christian spirituality, but there's always going to be uh, something that comes up because people are complex. I mean, human beings, we're, we're complex, our, our thoughts and our desires and our hopes. Uh, very quickly, the idea that, you know, we're just a sack of, you know, molecules that's kind of moving through space for no particular reason, that, that goes away because people want something. And so yeah. I really see it as I look out at the landscape and go, wow, so many people, especially the younger generation, uh, are talking about these things, are talking about manifesting things. And, and, you know, that's on maybe the squeaky whitewash side of it. But as you go farther and farther down the rabbit hole, um, you you get to basically borderline or not even borderline paganism. And I mean, mm-hmm. these, these things are starting to um, infect the culture to an even larger degree. And it's hard not to look at this new age mentality that's come in 
as kind of the one that held open the door um, yeah. to make some of the rest of it not seem so outlandish, you know, because there was a time where, you know, our grandpas or, you know, great grandpas would have laughed, you know, at some of the things being said, um, which are now just taken wholesale. Hmm. Well, so one it's... of the other things that in the New Testament you see is there's not a lot of times we're worried about like big apostasy people like abandoning the faith and going to something else you know islam atheism whatever else of of somebody just giving up their christianity that's not what happens is they find a a zombie christianity that like maps itself over christianity and talks in christian ways but is not i mean you look in the new testament they were dealing with gnosticism gnosticism wasn't trying to get people to stop being christians it was trying to convince them that their Christianity had to shift into something else and that you could really parallel the two. Or, you know, in Galatians, the Judaizing. Well, you need circumcision and the cross and baptism and all that. And and so it's combining things. And, and so it's not... It's the same in our day and age. If you don't have people being tempted to leave the church, mm-hmm. they're being tempted to bring this stuff in their back pocket into the church with them. And so uh, Stephen Furtick, uh, you know, gigantic megachurch guy is huge on this stuff of you, you are enough, and you are, you know, your own strength, and, and he'll twist God and, and Bible stories, David and Goliath, and stories like that into rising up to your, your best self, or um, what was that, the girl that sold like a bazillion books to Christian women a few years ago, Rachel Hollis, uh, it was Girl, Wash Your Face was the name of the book, I don't remember oh. if you guys saw that, or mm-hmm. I mean, it was gigantic, bestseller all over the place. And that was the the thing of it, like, stop apologizing for who you are. You are enough. You are great. You are kind of finding the goddess within is how the true New Agers would put it. But then you can almost Christianize it to, you know, finding what God wants you to be, which is always just a stronger version of yourself rather than dying to self. That's the parallel here of, you know, right. becoming this fulfilled version of who you already are versus crucifying that person and becoming somebody else. And one of the one of the ways that I think it gets through the door is, you know, I mentioned we haven't really there. There are theological principles that that we'll get to later in the show that are in direct contradiction to the self-love, self-actualization, manifesting all within you movement. Uh, a proper theology sees those things and says, oh, this is this is out. This is clearly pagan. Yeah, this is just the culture. This is another demonic philosophy that's, you know, um, masquerading as something that sounds good. But I think one of the reasons it gets through is not only because we haven't given a proper deep theology, but also there's no within this new age movement. Uh, it's kind of hard to get your hands around it. There's no consensus canon. There's no book that people are going off of per se. Now, there, there are obviously some Hindus that are reading the Vedas and that there are some within the occult that have their, you know, their ancient witchcraft books and, and that kind of thing. But there's no real consensus here. I mean, this is something that you can kind of lay over the top of any religion or any lifestyle that you are, which is why, you know, I mentioned the, the amount of Christians who believe these ideas about astrology, reincarnation is, is really interestingly very very close to the number of the people just within broader culture who wouldn't identify as Christian because there's no real consensus on it. It's just in the air that we breathe. These are the ideas that we've just come to be familiar with. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it sounds nice. It sounds good. You know, God wants for me to be blessed, right? Uh, God wants for me to work hard. God has, has given me a mission in this world. And so the new age, idea comes along and says, okay, well, you can go and you can do it. God wills it. You know, the name it and claim it type uh, uh, approach within um, broader evangelicalism, I think, um, fits within that. But there's just no canon. And so it just slips through the cracks. It has to be brought out expressly. I think I think it's interesting that, you know, with this new age movement, which has your right about it. it's very squishy if you will it's very nebulous um and yet you know it's it's not like uh postmodernism and that it started like with these french philosophers in the 30s but you ultimately end up at the same place as postmodernism yeah. because when self-affirmation is the ultimate goal um then who can tell you that you're wrong basically yeah. you know and so uh, this this whole thing takes on a well however you interact with it and whatever you way you want to is wonderful right it's all about your personal spirituality it's all about 
how you kind of come to grips with this force in the universe. But it's interesting as you look into it, you know, these Eastern, all this Eastern spiritualism, there's this basic underlying thought that we're all basically the same thing anyway. We're all part of this miasma of being, of spiritual energy. And so who am I mm-hmm. to look at another person and say, well, your take on this is actually, it's not very theologically adept with, you know, Hinduism and all this other stuff. Who cares, right? I mean, it's however, whatever part of it you want to take. And again, that's part of the danger. It's very much the buffet style where whichever part of this you want to take and add, well, it's all about self-affirmation anyhow. So that's really all that matters is that you're happy, that you're feeling some kind of fulfillment um, in your life. And so, yeah, the, the danger is how kind of how plug and play it is into hmm. pretty much any worldview that you have. Right. Whatever works for you. So this is something that people might be listening going, well, I don't, you know, I don't do those things. I'm not into that stuff. I don't do the Eastern religion thing. I don't uh, listen to, you know, those name it and claim it preachers or any of those things. And so it is not really an issue with me. There's other ways that this snakes its way into normal. Uh, Daniel's got a couple of them. I'm going to bring one up. We're not going to go into very deep because we're going to do a whole episode on this later in the season. The therapy world. All this self-love stuff we're talking about is, I'm not saying that all therapy is, is or in counseling is, is unhelpful. There's some that really does help people get back on track, but the large majority of the wisdom, quote unquote, from that world is the elevation of self, is mm-hmm. self-introspection, self, you know, finding your true self and, you know, rooting out the traumas that are keeping you from being you. And, and I mean, just all of this, this language that you hear and it, it sounds good. It sounds mm-hmm. as if, you know, there's there's something to it, but when you start pull, putting it against Scripture, and I think that's the problem with a lot of this, is, you know, what Titus was saying about the postmodernism and the Eastern stuff, and that's all whatever kind of works for you. Well, you didn't ask God first, and that's, yeah. you know, I mean, that's where you need dogma uh, is, is why we're here. But there's a, there's a real popular one. I think you're going to go after a sacred cow, which I say that very ironically because of hinduism i mean like let's there's a joke in that but i'm going to avoid that for now yoga Mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit are you are you going to try and tell me that it's bad to stretch jack i i get tight i get sore muscles what's wrong with stretching god wants us to just remain you know (laughs) straight and narrow i guess (laughs) yeah Yeah, you know i don't know until recently, I, I got to be honest, when I lived um, in the Caribbean, I would uh, sometimes I would follow this guy on YouTube who does like these things called like yoga power flows. And it's like 30 minutes of like ca- kind of high intensity um, yoga where you're really just like moving constantly. He didn't bring in any of the spiritual stuff. He called it yoga. Um, but you go to a yoga gym or you go to a place where there's like a certified yogi or a yoga master or whatever they, you want to call them, somebody that's over it and that's just leading people. You know, we were just talking before the show started about, you know, maybe titles will mention something about the origins of the word om, but you look at some of the things that are even said within the yoga class when, you know, they, they get into the certain stretch or certain position. And then there's like, they're like, there's a mantra or there's something that they they chant or something that they say. And this is the invocation of Within Hindu religion and within some of these mystic Eastern religions, it's bringing in some kind of outside force, some kind of spiritual force, which within Christian theology is demonic. I mean, it's not bringing in Christ. It's calling in something else. And the the people that originated yoga and a lot of the people that perpetuate the practice, they know that that's what they're doing. We just jump on and say, all I'm doing is stretching and saying a couple weird words. but this is, it's pagan. Do you, Titus, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. And, and I, I'll just give the, you know, as the new cast member, the who let the dogma out disclaimer, we haven't just condemned everyone who's done a little bit of yoga, um, you know, to 50 years in purgatory or anything. Um, <laughs> but, but on the other hand, um, I, I think it's a great example of, you know, the, the way that these things have meaning. And it goes back to, again to kind of a, a postmodern worldview that all of us have been infected with to a little bit. There's this thought that, well, I can do something and detach it from any meaning that has been previously put to it um, and, and, and just make it my own thing. And I think there's some 
there's some merit to that. And maybe we can talk about that a little bit later in light of the scriptures of uh, kind of claiming things and using things in a way that is, uh, is holy, you know, that, that doesn't have to be wrong. But when it comes to, again, things like yoga, you mentioned the word Aum. Uh, in, in researching for this show, I was looking on, uh, I think it's verywell.com. I might be getting that wrong, but it's a very popular health exercise website, um, you know, talking about how to get healthy. And they had a section under their fitness kind of branch on the uh, origins of the word Aum. Uh, and we're all familiar with that, you know, guru sitting with his life, Aum, Aum. Um, but as they were going through, they just you know, flat out said, well, here's the origins of this, you know, this Sanskrit symbol. Uh, here's the spiritual invocations. Here's kind of the three layers of the world talking about, I mean, going in depth with some of this, you know, Hindu Buddhist theology um, and kind of basically telling people at the end, look, to do yoga, you don't have to be open to this, but realize it's built on this. And it's essentially cultural appropriation to do yoga if you aren't at least uh, open to this in some way. And, and they said, you should be open to it. You know, you should be open to exploring your spirituality with this. And so again, I think mm -hmm. it goes back to what you said, that, you know, it's very easy to get in the backseat of the yoga bus and uh, just be doing stretches and exercising, but yeah. the people driving the bus uh, may have significantly different ideas. And as you said, if they are in direct contradiction to what the Bible teaches, uh, I think, we owe it at least to people to make them aware of that. Right. Well, one of, you know, as we're talking, I'm thinking about what, what is the operating presupposition underneath all of this? You know, the, the guru who says everything within you that you need, it's, it's within you and all you, you just need to find a way to bring it out. We did an episode last season about are human beings inherently good or fallen or somewhere in between which one are we? And I think we 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 kind of landed somewhere in the middle. There is some good, but there's a lot of bad. A lot about our nature has been corrupted. And the operating in presupposition of a lot of this, the self-love, self-actualization, self-development, uh, you know, is that you are perfect just the way that you are. You are good. If there's anything going wrong in your life, it's some outside force that's constricting you or oppressing you, and you need to find a way to free yourself from it, to be liberated from something beyond yourself, because everything within you is is there and is is good. And again, I think a little bit later, we're going to talk about how the scriptures inform these subjects, but one of the ways that this comes out and uh, that our culture has really rallied around and a lot of the church has, which again, if, if we just killed the yoga sacred cow, uh, here's another one, uh, the Enneagram. Um, have you guys had anybody make the suggestion that the Enneagram be used within your church as a way for people to find their spiritual gifts? Have you heard I've, that? I've seen it. There's books, uh, you know, of like how to use it alongside the Bible and alongside your church or, I mean, yeah, incorporating that stuff. That is something that you're you're spot on churches really do that we've we've come a long way since the andy griffith bible study guy yeah yeah this uh you know it's interesting I and mean, we we kind of uh on the surface it seems like all it is is a tool for analyzing personality traits and you know i mean it's used in spiritual contexts, it's used in in business contexts. You know, I, I remember when I was uh, working in the secular world uh, as a consultant. When I was getting hired onto this company, I had to take this series of tests that were just hours long, and it was just analyzing my personality, having me, you know, say which which of these two things do I find, uh, you know, better than the other. Just a lot of comparisons and contrasts, and lots of questions and. It's really just bringing out my personality and, you know, it's a way for management to have an understanding of who you are and the way that you think. And, you know, maybe there's a sense in which that's valuable, but the problem is we take these things, you take it into a spiritual context and you start making the assertion or the claim that this is how you find your Holy Spirit gift what it does is it limits the Holy Spirit's power and ability and his uh, 
you know, ability to give a gift, and, and maybe we can say a little bit more about that, it limits it to your personality. I don't think the Holy Spirit is giving gifts based on the personality type you were born with. It's not the way that it seems to come across in any of Paul's passages. Uh, gifts from the Holy Spirit are from the Holy Spirit. They're, again, they're not just within you. Well, These are from God. Right, for sure. And that's another thing that a lot of the personality tests can do, Myers-Briggs or whatever else. Uh, there's a million of them. I'm trying to think of the other names, but you know they're, they're pretty common. But I do think the Enneagram is worse, and I'll get into why in a minute. But people really box themselves in. Oh, I'm an INTJ, so I just don't do that. Well, you can't ask me to do that because I'm a six. Like, no, that you have to adapt with other people. Like, using that as a crutch is is a dangerous thing. But with the Enneagram, something we haven't really addressed with this yet is, have you guys seen this stuff of, like, the origins of it? Have you seen the guys talk about how they came up with it? Yeah. It's freaky i like it like literally demonic stuff of you know uh there's a term for it that i'm drawing a blank on i have it here somewhere but i'm not going to take time to find it on one of these million tabs i have open on research um of i think automatic writing or something like that where you just essentially like let yourself be led in the writing and you know these visions that they were having and somebody gave this to them and it wasn't God giving it to him. I'll tell you that much. Number one, these weren't Christ these were not Christian men, right? The and Abraham. then, and I mean, literally, communing with entities is mm -hmm. is kind of the claim. And then you'll have a lot of Christians in the same way with the yoga thing. I was like, well, it might have started there, but you know, it it it's come a long way since. It's not necessarily tied to that. It's kind of the same as the Halloween debate, right? Of well, okay, even if there were origins or there's there's ties that some people use it for, for bad, can, can it be used for good in some ways? I think some things can. Some things can be redeemed. Titus kind of hinted at this a minute ago. Some things can be redeemed. However, this is something that's not that old. It's not generations removed from mm. the demonic origin of it. And really, the whole thing is built around that demonic origin. And that's pretty hard to separate it from it. In the same way with yoga... And I think this is kind of a, a meat sacrifice to idols thing, where there's things where Paul was kind of like, look, if you don't know, if it's just kind of, if on its face there's nothing, you know, condemning about it, fine, go ahead and eat it. If you know that it was given to an idol, if you know there was a connection, don't do it, because yep. there's going to be problems coming from that. In the same sense of like, if somebody says, hey, try this stretch, it'll loosen up your back. Okay, you do that, and they go, ha, you just did yoga. You're not on the hook for that. If it's, well, if you say ohm with this thing, you know, as, as we were just talking about, you're kind of getting into that, into the idolatrous, the demonic part of it. The same thing with the Enneagram. It's very hard to separate it from these ideas that came from a demon to this guy. I mean, it's, or or at least he claims came from a demon. It, I don't, I don't see a redeeming quality in that. I don't know about you guys. Well, as now, you, as, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, as you <laughs> research the Enneagram, Part of what I saw is there's kind of this built-in notion of, you know, being on the path to almost godhood. Like you have that little piece of God within yourself and you're you're on this path towards this these nine directions or whatever to, mm -hmm. to this spot that's going to bring you to godhood. And again, uh, it's not a theological hop, skip and a jump to realize there's a difference between godliness and godhood. I mean, godliness right. is what we're striving <clears throat> towards, becoming like God. Who's the right. guy that said, eat this and you'll become just you'll, you know you'll become a god essentially right you'll have the knowledge of god you'll have and that's satan you know and so again any path that's telling you hey do this and you're going to become equal with god uh or a god you know is not a christian ethic <laughs> that's not a christian stance yeah yeah you know one of the things i mean so many one of the central ideas that's tying all this together is the cultural pursuit of better understanding self. I mean, how many people who they say, you know, who am I? Uh, I just don't know who I am anymore. Or I need to go on this journey to find out who I am, right? It's this journey to better understand who you are as yourself. And the problem is, it's a good thing to figure out who you are. We're going to all the wrong places. We're going to, a, a, you know, self-development book written by a guy who's an atheist or we're going to some life coach who doesn't believe in God or, or a therapist who's, you know, an agnostic or maybe even some other kind of religion, or we're going to the Enneagram and all of this is to better understand self. And what happens is we become as a society totally self-absorbed 
And the answer to who we are is found within, is found anywhere except for where the answer is actually given. You know, the Bible says you are a human being made in the image of God with the purpose Isaiah 43, seven of glorifying God. That's who you are. That's your job. That's what you're supposed to do. You know, Paul understood this said to live as Christ. That's my purpose. This is who I am. And what, what I think ultimately happens is we get a false answer and then we embrace it. And somewhere along the way, we forget our Christian identity there was a great tweet a few years ago about, you know, uh, the guy said, you know, my therapist, the problem is everybody else is, is, you know, terrible. And you are the one good person in the world. Me, I agree completely, you know, like that, that's so much of this is, yeah, every, all the circumstances aren't your fault. It's your parents' fault. It's, it's the world's fault. It's, it's whatever else, but you are finding yourself in the midst of all this. And, and you see, I mean, marriage is falling apart from the kind of advice that comes from this stuff. In fact, you see just, in fact, I've, I've known people where the marriage starts to split apart and you're watching it happen in real time on Facebook where somebody, a lot of times the wife, starts sharing those memes about you've just got to distance yourself from people who are not helping you live your best life. And you've, you know, you need to find yourself apart from those that are keeping you, like, mm -hmm. this advice destroys lives. And, and it, the problem is... It's always, you're, you're looking in the mirror 24-7. Everywhere you go, you're just holding up a mirror, looking for yourself in everything. That's not a healthy way to live. I mean, whatever happened to that Jesus, others, yourself thing? And and so even in the Bible, you have the lovers of self is one of the, you know, warning signs of, of things going very wrong in 2 Timothy 3. But you contrast that with Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself. He assumed you already love yourself. Like that's, right. that's a base assumption that everybody loves yourself. If you didn't love yourself, you know, like eating, that's loving yourself. You're caring for yourself. So love others in that way. But this yeah. constant <clears throat> navel gazing, this constant looking in the mirror, this constant, I need a, a test that tells me who I am. I need to fulfill my, manifest my best self. And, and all of these things that we're talking about to this point that people mm -hmm. bring to their Christianity and think their Christianity is an aid on this journey of self-discovery really messes people up. Yeah. You'll, let's take some of these, you know, kind of in the, in this uh, last part of the show, let's take some of these issues and see if we can put a scripture or a biblical principle or something to it just to, just to show how at odds it is with the Christian faith. And one of them I'll start with is uh, meditation. Now, meditation and the way that we're using it as a society today. Uh, if you've watched any, you know, listen to any of these uh, self-help guys or whatever, a lot of a lot of meditation today is it's rooted in the idea of emptying yourself. You go into a quiet place and you kind of let go of everything and just completely free your mind from whatever it is that's shackling it or bearing it down. Within Christianity, within the Bible, you go back to the Old Testament when you know it says, you know, the the man of God is meditating. What's he meditating on? He's meditating on the law of God day and night. I remember a number of years ago, I was reading, um, uh, Richard Foster had a book about the spiritual disciplines. The book's called Celebration of Discipline. There's a, there's a lot of good within it. He talks about prayer, meditation, fasting, all that kind of stuff. In the section on meditation, one of the things that he said is the Eastern concept of meditation is all about emptying, whereas the Christian concept is all about filling. It does have to do with taking time to be contemplative and to be quiet and to think for a while. But the Christian is concerned more with filling himself with God than just emptying himself of whatever. Because you remember what Jesus said about the, you know, the man whose, uh, whose house was empty, swept, kept in order, you know, the demon left. That demon went out and searched in waterless places and it came back later with seven others more more evil than itself. And it says the last state of the man became worse than the first. What Jesus is saying is if you empty yourself and you're not filled with God, it's a ticking time bomb. You're you're just waiting to be filled up with something that is not Christ. And it most most certainly will not be Christ. 
So that's one of them. Meditation, you know, you can, there's a Christian way of looking at it, but the way the world's looking at it isn't right. Same thing with manifesting. What is manifesting? I, I wish I had some of these quotes that I was reading the other day, uh, but basically they're saying you can be and you can attain anything that you desire. Say you want a mansion, you want a Lamborghini, you want to be you know, 85 years old and super healthy. So long as you get yourself into the proper thinking channels and exercise this way of thinking, you will manifest it. It, it just will be. And it, it, it takes man and it makes man God. What did James say? You know, about the man who said, you know, I'm going to go to this city. I'm going to make a profit. I'll be there for a while and then I'm going to settle down. God said, you know, you foolish man. You don't know that your soul is required of you tonight. What you ought to say is if the Lord wills this or that, I'll bring it to pass. Now, the idea of manifesting is antithetical to Christ. We live in a world of life hacks. You know, everything is, you know, you've got this life hack to do this and here's a hack to do this. And manifesting seems to me like the ultimate, like hacking your life. It's like a cheat code. Like, hey, as long as you're in this right lane uh, mentally and spiritually, you know, the world's going to bow down at your feet, you know, and and it's just, uh, it's just <laughs> puzzling to see again, Christians who, again, are, are in such maybe a shallow place with their understanding of the world. Um, you know, someone who's obviously not spent a lot of time reading the Psalms. I mean, the Psalms <laughs> show you that, hey, you can be faithful to God. Uh, you can be exactly where you're supposed to be. And things very well may not turn out the way that you want them to. Last night, I was sitting in, in on a Bible study of Psalm 44, which is uh, a group of God's people saying, hey, we know what you've done for us. We know what you're able to do, what you've done for us in the past. Um, what's happening? You know, awake, oh Lord, you're, you're, you're sleeping on us. You know, please mm -hmm. help us. And, and yeah. again, that, you know, God inspired that Psalm. But what it shows you is the person that believes, oh, well, the world is mine. It's my oyster and I can just desire something into being flies in the face of saying you can be on God's side and still go through times to where um, you're, you're not getting the things that you want or the thing, the things that you think are the most needful for you. Um, yeah. And you know, that, that kind of maturity and growth in, in our understanding of God and our, our Christian walk um, should be leading us in the opposite direction that goes, you know, but you know, here am I send me, whatever it will be, I'll stay faithful to God. You know, I'm more than a conqueror. Um, in, in the things that, you know, even through these difficulties. And so any worldview that forces you into thinking, well, I'm owed this and I can have it mm -hmm. uh, on a whim is, uh, is obviously demonic. There's two yeah, words there's... that come to mind that like are at the heart of Christianity, the foundational, they're among the pillars of Christianity that all modern wisdom flies in the face of, and that's humility and submission. Mm -hmm. I'm not God. I don't know everything. I don't even know the best path for my life. You know, right. I mean, that, that is, you brought up the Psalms so much about God guiding our paths. The, the, you know, when you put in the outline of scriptures that we can bring into this discussion, Proverbs 3 is the first one that comes to mind for me, of course, you know, well known, but I'm just going to put them out here anyway. Trust in the, uh, this is Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And the more humility you get, the more you walk with God, the more you realize that I don't even know what I should want. Like I have, <laughs> I, you guys would agree with this. Anybody who's been a Christian for any amount of time has had prayers that, man, this is the thing I want more than anything. I'm praying to God for it. Please, God, please do this in my life. And he doesn't. And years later, you come back and be like, if he gave me what I wanted, my life would mm -hmm. be destroyed. His yeah. grace was in telling me no. Yep. Nobody ever tells somebody no in this new age mindset. Nobody ever shuts somebody down. Nobody ever gets in the way and says, hey, yourself is pretty miserable, is, is kind of not great. You are not that sharp on top of everything that you can just plan out the world the way you want it to be. You know, your Enneagram, well, I'm a six wing. That I don't care. Stop worrying about yourself. Look right. what God has to tell you about yourself. That, that's exactly what God said to Moses. You know, Moses said, look, I'm not eloquent. 
Right. I mean, he kept God. God kept calling him to this, saying, "You're going to go do this. You're going to go. You're going to go free my people." And Moses kept saying, I, "I can't talk well." God just said, "Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Isn't it I, the Lord?" A huge part of the issue here is where authority is found. The culture believes authority is in the self. If you haven't read the book, um, uh, T- Titus. I'm blanking on it right Truman? now. The the rise and triumph of the modern self. Oh, yes, the rise and triumph of the modern self. The whole idea behind the modern self is that the self has all of the authority. Christians, no, no, we don't. You know, in uh, back in uh, in high school, I remember you know on our you know back in pep rallies or on the walls within the hallways or even in classrooms, you see, you know, self-confidence, self-esteem, just putting yourself all the way up here. Jack, you bring out a good point. The longer I'm a Christian, the less reason I feel to have any confidence within myself. And I think the reason why we reject, why we immediately say that self-confidence is a good thing is because we've created a false dichotomy between uh, self-confidence and no confidence. We think it's it's either one or the other. And the idea is, no, the, Bi- the people in the Bible were greatly confident. David was super confident when he went out there to slay Goliath. Abraham was super confident when he went to a land that he didn't know. But their confidence was rooted in something outside of themselves. It was rooted in God. It was rooted in the authority. It was rooted in the sovereign who declares the end from the beginning and says, this is going to happen. And the only thing for us is to get on board with it and to be, as you pulled out a minute ago, uh, Jack, to be in submission, which society doesn't like it, but submission is the pathway to freedom. One, one other thing that I think, you know, as we're, we're talking about this and some potentially, um, mutated concepts, if you want to call them, uh, things that I think need to be brought up in the discussion is the idea of fellowship um, and what we fellowship with. So when it comes to new age spirituality or paganism or whatever else, um, you know, I think it's important for Christians. And and again, this is something I think that we have failed in the church at times to really teach enough, but it's that where you hang out, what you associate yourself with um, has fellowship connotations, you know? And so I, again, Jack brought up earlier the meat offered to idols discourse in first Corinthians, which I think is, is relevant to one of these conversations. And, you know, again, it's one of those discourses that it's so easy to take one verse out of context or one clump of verses out of context, when in reality, it's a three chapter discourse over this. And so, you know, again, uh, for the person that, that says, well, you know, yoga stretches help me to loosen up there. I've talked to people, you know, yoga stretches have helped my health. I've noticed an improvement in my sleep, these different things. And, and none of us are obviously saying that exercise is of no benefit. Um, bodily movement is, is of no benefit. We're not Gnostics. Um, and so, I, you know, as we've mentioned earlier, I think there's an aspect to where, yeah, there's people out there that are involved in yoga that are doing it in, in a very exercise driven way, um, a way that they're not associating with this. But, you know, if you go to 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul brings in this idea of fellowship, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, he brings in this very real, you know, kind of comparison between saying, hey, when, when we're talking about this stuff and we're talking about these things with roots in, you know, idolatry or, or um, you know, paganism, uh, there, there's a fellowship aspect of this. And so on one hand, he says, hey, if you're eating meat, you know, give thanks to God for it and say, you know, I don't know where this came from, but I know God made it and it's good you know, in chapter eight, when we get to chapter 10, he says, you know, what happens when we sit down at the Lord's supper, you know, being at that table means something being in Mm -hmm. this spot means something spiritually. It means you have fellowship with Christ. And so he goes on to say, what, what am I implying here? Am I implying that, you know, uh, that that an idol is anything that this stone is, is a living being? No, but what I'm saying is what the pagans think they offer to idols, they're offering to demons. I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. And so again, uh, as I think about Christians in, yoga studio saying um saying namaste you know all of these things Mm -hmm. i just think about that fact of what table are you sitting at you know fellowship is a real thing you know it's it's a christian doctrine that we can have fellowship with god in a spiritual way um 
but but we can't fool ourselves into thinking that that's that fellowship can't be turned the exact opposite direction that, that we can sit down at that table and now suddenly we're part of something perhaps much more sinister than we realize so again it it requires a lot of discernment a lot of prayer i think to decide you know what what can i be involved with and at mm-hmm. what point have i crossed that line to where i'm you know sitting down at the table with the, an enemy of god you know I that's, think that's that is a great. great point. I think uh, the idea of lines of fellowship and, and what we allow and disallow actually leads well into our next episode we're going to get to. So, Daniel, I'll give you a final word on this one because we're kind of running out of time on, on New Age here before we uh, pick up with next week's episode that will get into that fellowship idea a little bit more. But it's a great point. Daniel, what would you have to add as we close? Yeah, uh, just want to finish off with Second Corinthians chapter 6, 14 and following. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So as we wrap up this episode, Christianity needs to be leading the culture. The church and the individual Christian needs to be the one that's informing the culture, not the other way around. The idea here is be separate and be holy. And stick with God, irrespective of what the culture is doing. So I think there's a lot we could say further about this or a couple other points that I wanted to get to, but we're not going to be able to. Maybe I'll bring them out in a future episode. But uh, Jack, do you have anything to close us out on? I think we're good. We will be back next week. Uh, again, want to thank Titus for joining us on this season. Uh, as you guys saw, he is a, a perfect ideological fit for uh, where we're wanting to go with this. And uh, I want to thank Daniel for driving this one. Again, there's there's a lot more to be said on this. Uh, I think some of those concepts certainly will come in. Um, again, think about what you bring into your Christianity, what the how the culture is pushing into the church and how we allow that. But We will be back next week as we talk lines of fellowship, creeds, and confessions on Who Let the Dogma Out, where where doctrine has dominion over all of life. It's been a while. We'll talk to you guys next week. (laughs) 